Uh, there are things in life that I do not like, but I have to accept them. And it's so funny. I wrote this four days ago when I was doing notes. The first thing I wrote was cars. Some of you guys, you just love cars. You know, they're a big thing for you. All they are for me is transportation. That's <laughs> like I never had the, I don't want a van because it'll make me uncool when I was young. I would have loved a van. And that's all I care about, getting from point A to point B. So I, I'm not faulting people that like vehicles. It's fine. But I, and it's so funny, I wrote this four days ago. But when I got here today in my pickup truck, I told Gail, you're going to have to drop me over at the, we're going to have to drop the truck off. It started acting up really bad on the way down here. It's going to have to get worked on. So it's like I prophesied to myself. I should have prophesied getting a new car. But anyway, I don't like it, but I accept it. I don't like how much they cost. I don't like how much is put into them. I don't like when they break down. I don't like how you have to repair them. But I completely accept it. How many things in life are this way? Well, in Ecclesiastes 1.15, Solomon said, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. <laughs> and, you know, whether he understood fully or not, because Ecclesiastes was a journey of his, not everything he said was the whole truth. But I think we can relate, right? How many things are lacking? When you start to think, do you have a list that only goes to 10? <laughs> I don't. And I don't think the world does. The whole world, in fact, is feeling it. And that's what the whole world is waiting. As it says in Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until right now. So the Bible won't answer every God working in us. will show us how to respond to life, how to respond to evil. And we went over verses 1 through 11, and we saw the end of the wicked talked about, and we talked about delighting in the Lord in one aspect. Let me say before, let me read these verses. Do not fret because of evildoers, verse 1, Psalm 37. Do not be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desire so in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Well, this thing about the righteous versus the wicked, it's important for us with the New Testament view to remember some things. Bill took us wonderfully to the end of Psalm 38 and 9, Psalm 39, and, and talking about that God, don't, don't uh, punish me in your hot, burning indignation. And he said to us, Jesus took that hot, burning indignation. Remember, the New Testament view, as we can see through Jesus, and the cross, the fulfillment of the need we have for forgiveness and cleansing and to be free 
from the judgment of God. And if that doesn't help you over time, uh, a brand new car is not going to fix you. A brand new zero, nothing is going to fix you and make you happy. You'll never be fulfilled if you don't get this, period. And, and, and that's what we seek to do. But the righteous in the New Testament, remember Romans 3, quoting Isaiah, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have gone astray. All have been done wickedly. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's placed upon us that is the answer to all of this righteous versus the wicked. That's the ultimate reality that we look at when we look back at the Psalms. So, um, but the meek are going to inherit, that's the end of the wicked, but the meek are going to inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So don't fret, don't burn in anger and frustration. Three times David reminds us, and, and you know, David was a warrior by necessity, but he was a, a worshiper by heart. And, and, and he reminds us why we don't have to be frustrated because the wicked, the end of the wicked is coming. So delight yourself. Keep your heart soft and pliable. We saw that one of the translations of that word is very strong, that your heart should be pliable to God, and we, that's what we talked about. But it also does mean just to light yourself in God, and he'll give you your desire of your heart. So what happens there is he molds your heart as you give it to him, and he opens your heart so that it can be filled with his love, his will, and his desire and his work, and that changes your desires, doesn't it, to make them more in line with his it's not a trick. It's not like, uh, oh, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires. Right? I'm going to change your desires so you don't even want what you really want. No, God knows what you really want, and he knows what you really need. And a humble person, and this is difficult, and I'm not, if it's hard for you, I'm not calling you arrogant. I'm saying accepts the fact that they don't even know what they really want. A humble person realizes that they can't be satisfied by just what they want. They realize they're lacking or weak in the ability to see clearly on their own. Are you humble? Can you see that you can't see? Because if you can't see that you can't see, then you can't see. <laughs> you can write that. Why aren't you writing that down? All right. So, <laughs> so it's not a trick. It's life. But wait, there's more. Trust in the Lord and do good good and dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I couldn't just pass this up and move on because it's so important. You know, trust in the Lord and do good simply means to do good. The word is tov, boker tov, good morning, good. It's just good. Do good. Acts 10.38, we're going to go through some verses, and we won't take a lot of time on them, but talking about Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about, what did he do? Doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Man, that's Jesus, though, Rick. That's Jesus, yeah. But Jesus also told us in Matthew 5, 16, and we sang about it on a couple of songs today, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine through what? Good works, doing good. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hebrews 13, 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. A response to all this could be, well, okay, I this whole idea of the wicked and they'll soon be cut off and, and God's going to make things right, age coming. Let me say, we know that none of us knows. We know that there's certain things that we seem to understand in the Bible that have to transpire uh, in order for the second coming of Christ and, and a period of seven years of the Great Tribulation. And I do believe that, that the Bible is laid out clearly for those things. But we're to be watching for Jesus coming for his church. For us, we're to always be in the state of expectation, anticipation that he can come in any moment for us. That's why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I'm not certain of it, but there's so many verses that tell me I need to be ready at any moment, and I'm ready at any moment. And you've heard me say about 2,000, and to be ready to stay, yes, to be ready to go. And uh, so, but I see the end of the age. I see the end of the wicked coming, so I know what God wants me to do. Store up stuff to last for me and my family, barricade myself and arm myself so no one can get to me or take anything from me, right? Mostly, no. (laughs) Mostly, no. Now, it's not wrong to be prepared, to be wise. We're told to do that. I'm not talking about not to have preparation in your life or take measures that help you be ready for the future. That's not what we're talking about. It's the hoarding and fearing and getting your gun ready so you can blow away anybody that comes near you to get your stuff and all of that. And there are people, listen, I come from the Pacific Northwest. Enough said. I had a guy that had a helicopter to get to his hideaway where nobody knew how to get there so he could store up, and he wanted to take me for a ride on it to on the helicopter, and I was thinking, uh, long story, I wasn't going with him. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I didn't think I might not ever come back, you know. You might say, now you know too much, Rick. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's not wrong to be prepared. Uh, and Jesus spoke of, and I think Bill alluded to this guy last week, selfishly storing for yourself. And the man was told, fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. And who will those things be which you leave behind? So whether it's an arrogance or over for personal gain or fear, the other side is fear leading to isolation. Fear, fear will lead you to isolation. Let me say it another way. I haven't done that for a while. Fear will lead you to isolation. I went back this way, so that's the other way. Fear will lead you to isolation. Don't live in fear. God does not have that for you. God does not have that for you. Don't buy that chili. Okay, neither, neither of those would fall under the category arrogant personal gain or fear that leads to isolation. Neither of those would fall under the category of doing good, would they? No. Trust in the Lord and do good. Listen, we are not handicapped from doing good because our government is faulty or our jobs are crummy or our schools produce dummies, not necessarily. (laughs) I had to have a rhyme. Or we don't got money. So our 
our ability to do good is not hindered, stopped, and handicapped by a world gone awry. That's not what keeps you from doing good. I don't hear any amens. I know we don't do that, but I also am wondering if you're buying, understanding what I'm saying. You are not being kept from doing good. And you don't, I'm not really, it's just. But even in a world blinded by sin, with self-serving attitudes, confusion, and hate, doing good is not trumped by evil. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, we let me interject, sometimes you can't. That's what it's saying. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And by the way, giving place to wrath means give room for God to do his work, even his judgment. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Says the Lord, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Does that mean judgment on his head or conviction of the spirit? Either way, it works, and people take both of those. Finally, in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Overcome evil with good. Apparently, by the work of the Holy Spirit in a New Testament born-again believer who has allowed God's Holy Spirit to indwell him, her, and fill us with his spirit and empower us, we can overcome evil with good. This isn't talking about governments and national things and all of those issues that we strive about and want to see everything corrected. It's talking about you. It's talking about you and me. When Paul spoke those words, he was talking to Christians in a, in a world of chaos and trouble and an oppressive Roman government that ruled everybody under the iron fist of Rome. So there's no escaping this. God has the power, and I'm so thankful for that. How depressing it would be is there's no God and do good because the world is in such a chaos. That would be very depressing. And the reason some might be depressed is because they believe that. And the Bible teaches you something different. And the Bible says to him, it doesn't mean say a prayer of commitment. Lord, I commit all this to you. I'm going to go do this and this and this and this. Bless it in Jesus' name. That's not committing your way to the Lord. Committing your way to the Lord is trusting in him fully and following the path that he lays out for you. And sometimes there's things you do not like. Welcome to the club. But they are necessary sometimes, yeah, like more, yeah. So um, so uh, I'm going to get back to my notes here. I don't like having to overcome evil. I don't like having to do that. But I accept it, and I realize there's a joy in it too. And I remember you are the light of the world. What's interesting is probably 90 or 95% of the people in this room have a flashlight on them. Don't they? Don't you? 
Do you know, remember the days when you needed to see something and you went, I got to go get a flashlight. But now, and often you do because the light on your phone is not all that great. But if you do have a flashlight, most of you have a phone and your phone has a flashlight app. And, and so we're carrying it with us. The light is with us. Well, there's a lot more than that, of course, by the Spirit working in us, light shining out of us, light illuminating us from the inside out. So we ought not to expect light to emanate from the world around us under Satan's dominion. Like, the word is scandalized that's used a lot, like where you're offended and troubled and stumbled by the fact that something's wrong. It, it just takes you off your mark, takes you off your nut, as they say. Do you expect to find good when you go out into the world and it's just going to be a Disney cartoon, an old, old one? You know, have you gotten used to the fact that you, you're going to see darkness around you? Um, doesn't mean it's always there, always there's no light or anything like that, but, you know, we should expect light to emanate from the world around us under Satan's dominion, but we should expect the light to emanate from us. Okay. This is a change of direction for how you deal with your emotion and your decisions. Do you know that you're the light of the world? Do you know that? Yeah, praise the Lord. So, um. In verses 12 through 22, we won't read them all, but wicked, the wicked will be dealt with and the righteous will inherit uh, their inheritances forever. And I'll read that, verse 16. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of the many wicked. Uh, for the arms of the wicked, verse 17, shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And it goes on to say in verse 18, their inheritance shall be forever and they will not be ashamed in verse 19 in the evil time. Wow, just a promise of God to strengthen and protect us and to help us. The Lord knows the day of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in evil time. And then verses 23 through 29. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Boy, I like that, don't you? I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved for how long? Forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Listen, these are powerful terms. You know, it, it takes faith to believe them, but the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord or woman, and he delights in his way. The Lord delights, and that word just means delights. He delights over you. And, and, and you won't be cast down permanently even when you stumble. Now, David says, I've been young, now I'm old. I won't, haven't seen the righteous forsaken. David's experience is good. Some people and some Bible teachers who teach one verse and build doctrines off of one verse and tell you this whole big thing off of one verse. Some declare 100% blessing for the true believer, including healing usually involved in that too, that you're just going to live this life about four feet above the ground of blessing. Someone needs to please tell Paul. Because in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, 27, 
he talks about that he was about his suffering as an apostle was in weakness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. And most scholars believe that he's not talking about chosen fasts to seek the Lord here. He's talking about because he didn't have food. In cold and nakedness. You see, he wasn't forsaken and he wasn't begging, but he did suffer for the kingdom. Would you agree? Someone needs to tell the writer of Hebrews 11.35b, which means halfway through it, through 38. Others were tortured, not talking about the heroes of the faith, how they really did overcome great things. At the same time, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. Uh, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, tormented, excuse me, of whom the world was not worthy. So these guys wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They were not forsaken. God didn't forsake them. And they weren't begging. But it doesn't sound like they were lounging in luxury, does it? So when somebody, I'm talking about this because I want you to be wise in the word of God. When somebody takes one portion of a verse, if you're a true Christian, you'll never suffer and go through hardship. You'll never be hungry, etc. That's just not accurate doesn't mean there can't be hard things. Now, I I don't have time nor probably the wisdom to reconcile all of those things together for you completely. The goal here is to go, oh, that's why we go through the whole Bible. That's why we read books chapter by chapter, so that we learn the whole counsel of God. Comparing, it says, Scripture, and the word it tells us is comparing Scripture with Scripture so that we can put together an understanding, and you do need teaching, and you do need wisdom, and you do need grace, and and yes, people will differ on certain things, but you will find the flow of God's word. It will speak and balance out for you things that you get confused about. Just stay tuned long enough, read enough, spend time. We're in the Old Testament a lot right now, but read through, if you haven't read through the New Testament, read through the New Testament, and read through the Bible again and again and it's not a book you read and you go a week one time. Early here, we had uh, there was a women's study at Debbie Lukenholder's house, and and she invited a lady that she knew, a wonderful lady, and and the lady was church going and loves Jesus, but her, her concepts were were here at this point. Is we're studying the Book of Ruth. Oh well, I probably won't come. I read that book once. Yeah, that's not how it works. You know, I have read Isaiah many times, and as we're reading it and going through it on Wednesday night. I am seeing so many things I didn't see or understand before. I'm seeing things I still don't understand. But I'm seeing things that I can understand that really help me, and I realize that I just need to keep on reading and let the Lord fill me with his word. So that's why I went through the detail of that. And it's not a thorough detail. It's just to tell you, you know, you don't have to scratch your head. Well, how can people be suffering if if David's never seen the righteous begging bread? That doesn't, it's not a coverall for every single situation. That means you won't suffer for Christ if you do the right thing. It tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so I'm going to read to you verse 37 through 40 and finish. 
There's so much in here, but I'm trying to be a little more concise. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man, or woman, ladies, is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. That's a promise from God. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust. He's their strength in time of trouble. Have you seen that? Have you found that? I sure have. Um, Talking strongly about who the Lord is is right for someone who sits in this position. Being as clear as possible, being direct, and not treating you like babies, and not just trying to win your favor and make you like me and all of that. But no matter who it is who talks strong or whatever, we are all so weak in and of ourselves. Remember that song, no one sees that deep behind this armor, the warrior is a child. And I am a child of God, and so are you. And I need him. And sometimes, no matter how much I know the word, my first thought is I don't know what to do. It's my first reaction. I don't have to live in that reaction. But it's my first reaction, and I'm, try- and I'm working on getting better about that. Are you? And, um, and God comes and helps us in our trouble. He's their strength in time of trouble. Don't feel guilty because you need him. Don't think you're going to arrive at some point or that any of us who teach or are leaders or people you see on TV have arrived at a point where they don't need the Lord because they know so much or they don't need to trust him. You're not as, we're so much closer to each other than we think because all of us are like right here and then there's Jesus who's immeasurably beyond us. So when you take immeasurable to me being a Christian for 50 years and maybe you being one for two or three, that it's that far apart for the knowledge of the Bible one person has versus somebody who's brand new. Oh, it's, it's that far apart. And our need is not apart at all. It's 100% that we need Jesus. He's their strength in time of trouble. Trouble came to them. They did good. They trusted in the Lord and did good good. They did really good. They hid Jews from Nazis who were rounding up the Jews and putting them in concentration camps to kill them. They hid them, built a false wall in their house where they could put the Jewish people behind that wall. They did really good. What was their earthly reward? Ravensbrook, the Ken Boone family. Their earthly reward for doing good was to be sent, caught and sent to a concentration camp. Are you with me? This is, this is one of three mentionings of Corey and Bessie Ken Boone. Last night, listening to a friend's Bible study, he, I already had my notes. He mentioned them. This morning, without knowing my notes, Amy prayed and mentioned Corey Ten Boom. Because Christians who have been around and are read are aware of Corey Ten Boom's story. And if you're not, it's probably in that book, Tramp for the Lord is her book. 
doesn't mean she was a tramp. <laughs> and, and so they did good, and their earthly reward was the concentration camp Ravensbrook. And Bessie Ten Boom, this dear soul, she said to Corey, uh, she said, Corey, the Lord showed me we're going to be out of here, both of us. It was either by New Year's or by spring, I don't remember. We're both going to be out of here by spring. And she was right. Bessie's crippled now, emaciated, already sickly and now completely skin and bones body as she lay there, died in Ravensbrook and was ushered into heaven. Every tear wiped away, entered the joy of the Lord that spring or before that spring. Corey was released on a clerical error and went on to share the love of Jesus Christ with German soldiers who were part of the concentration camp and other people all over the world shared the love of Christ into her late 80s. They did good. I don't think they, do you? I don't think they went, this is the perfect place to minister. Thank you, God. This is exactly what I prayed for. I don't think so. She never says that. She said, though, not still deeper, still. You are not handicapped from doing good because the world is in darkness. You are not. It's a lie. It's a lie. Are you listening to lies? They let their light shine. They didn't like it, I don't think, but they accepted where they were and found the goodness of God in a concentration camp. I haven't been there. I'm not speaking from experience, but I am speaking from her experience. I am looking at a life lived to the glory of God that changed the world around her through individual people whose hearts were melted by the love of Jesus Christ. They let their light shine in a very dark world. Like Paul and Silas in that dungeon in Acts 16, they were singing at midnight having been beaten, and they're in their lowest dungeon with all the feces and the rats from the rest of the prison. That's how that worked. They were worshiping God down there. Oh, man, full of good works. Uh, singing, or Richard Warmbrandt in Romania and, and the stories there that some of you know. But it's not always harsh. Oh, oh, thanks, Rick. You mean, in order for us to do good, we've got to go through some kind of horrible thing. No, uh, I'm going to pick number three. Uh, you would too. Dorcas. I used to think her name was funny, and I'm going, oh, give me Dorcas, man. She did good. She, it says she was known for her good works, Acts chapter 9. She made coats and, and clothing for people. I'll go with that one. <laughs> My good works. That sounds good to me. I'll, I'll still learn how to sew. Honey, teach me how to sew. <laughs> I'd rather do that than go to a concentration camp. It's not always through the suffering of some horrible good works. Trust in the Lord and do good. You got 
something to do. You might need to find out what it is if you're not really certain. That's okay. Don't stop going in that direction. And don't say it's because the world is so dark. I can't do good. Mark 8.35 says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. And so it's good for us to ask, how am I doing? Is my, am I, is my life being saved? Now, I don't mean do I have salvation, eternal salvation, but is my life on a daily basis in a, in a directional way, am I being saved? Meaning, and it's both, but am I being saved from self-consumption, from bitterness, from... Uh, depression. Now, not all of this is saved by just having a right attitude. There's challenges and problems and difficulties people have that I don't always understand, including my own. But I am saying, and I won't not say it, you know, when you give your life to Christ on a daily basis and you know where the world's heading, but you're thinking about where are I heading? You know, the question about where the world's heading is pretty obvious. Would you agree? That's not, so we don't need to spend all day talking about how bad the world is and where it's heading. We don't need to have focus groups to decide how bad is the world and how bad is it going. We don't need to make t-shirts. The world is really bad, and then on the back, here's how bad it's going. We all get it, right? The question isn't how is the world going. We've answered that. Which way are you going? Which way am I going? You know, what will our legacy be? Which way are you headed? For some of you, like me, it's to head in a better direction of seeking the Lord and not letting the things around me be an excuse to stop me from doing good. That's me. Is that any of you? For some listening, maybe you're in this room. You haven't yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ, given your heart to him. It's an eternal thing, and and both apply. What will your legacy be is one thing. What will your destiny be is a whole other ballgame. What will your destiny be if you haven't truly come to Jesus Christ? We were all wicked. We were all lost in sin. There's none that does good. There's none righteous. No, not one. Are you sitting here today, are you listening online today, and you know that without Jesus you would be lost and doomed to an eternity in the lake of fire that the Bible declares, hell and death and the lake of fire altogether? Do you realize that the only reason to be a Christian, no matter what happens, is that? There's no guarantee that your life's going to go swimmingly because you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and make him your Lord. You might do good, and you might suffer for it. And I believe that you parents and me, as a parent, when I, is to teach our kids about doing good for the right reason, not for a result on earth. But to understand, and it's a very hard concept for a kid, but don't leave them in the just trust in Jesus and he'll work everything out just the way you wanted it. You're lying to them. And don't tell a new person, oh, if you just come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. Do you know that? <laughs> don't tell people lies. 
Tell people the truth. They need Jesus because they're on their way to the lake of fire without him. Now, I'm not talking about this shove. Are you teaching people? Are you speaking the gospel? Am I speaking the gospel? Because our hope is in eternity. The wicked will be cut off, and I don't want to be one of them, and I don't want anybody else to be one of them. I want to see as many saved as possible. And that's why I'm still breathing on this earth, is to help other people know Jesus. And that's why you're here too. So for some of you, it's your kids, and it's our grandkids. But it's not just them. It's not just your family. It has a destiny waiting for them. What legacy will I leave? Jesus' legacy was he went around doing good and healing those who were oppressed of the devil. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, you might say, yeah, I'm not oppressed. First of all, I don't believe in the devil. And uh, if he even does exist, uh, he's not bothering me. He might not be bothering you because he has you right where he wants you in blindness, in unbelief. You don't need Jesus. You don't care about Jesus. You're not so sure he's real. And you got things to do this afternoon that will completely take your mind away from this. What if it's true? And what if that's the way the enemy is working with you to oppress you, is to blind you, to blind you so that you can't see the truth of your need? There is none so blind as those who will not see. God can open your heart. I would never speak these things if I didn't believe them, and I would never speak these things if I didn't believe God had the power to show a person like me who was arrogant, proud, thought he was a good person, judged other people harshly, and thought I never would need anything close to a Jesus That was me. I'm no better than anybody. But I know, and you know, that we need Jesus. Have you really come to him? Prayer if we would. Are you here today, and even though you've been in church for a while, or maybe even your whole life, you haven't really, really come to Jesus? Now's your time you're listening online and you haven't really given your heart to Jesus, he paid for your sin through his death on the cross. He proved that it took and you're forgiven because he rose from the dead. He did no wrong to take on all of your wrong. Do you want his forgiveness? Do you want his love? Raise your hand if you're here and you just really haven't come to Jesus. At least let me know. As a, as a step for you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. I, in one sense, I don't want to leave everybody with this heavy experience. But dear God, the world is so dark, 
and we are so easily brought down into its darkness in the flesh. But we thank you today that we are not trapped into doing bad, into giving up, into throwing our hands in the air, into running into a hole to hide. But we are called to let our light shine. And I know a lot of people would raise their hand if I said, do you want your light to shine? I'm not asking you to do that. I know what I want my light to shine. Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit, Lord? Empower us not to be influenced by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And show us the good works that we are to do. Show us each, Lord, the direction that our life should take. If there are actual major changes that need to happen, let us be ruthlessly willing to make those changes. If there are minor adjustments that need to happen, help us not wait till the world gets better or life gets easier to make those adjustments. Help us do it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name.